Hey everyone, today we have an episode of the Bible in Context. We are finishing off Colossians chapter 2, and so we hope this just blesses you. It helps you to um, grow your passion for the Bible and for getting to know God through His Word. And so today we have Abby Austin, Alec Duzan. We're going to be going through Colossians 2, and we're I'm really excited about this episode I'm always excited to talk about the Bible with friends, and so we're going to jump right into it. And so just uh, with the Bible in context, kind of the emphasis is we want to search out the context of the book of the Bible that we're reading so that we can understand and have a clear application that's true to the scriptures. And so in the previous episodes, we've talked about it, but we just want to do a quick overview of the context here. So Um, Colossians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. He was in prison, and he wrote it to a church that he had never visited. So a man by the name of Epaphras visited him in prison, and Paul gave him this letter to bring back to the church in Colossae. And this is the letter that he wrote. So he's writing it um, to address the cultural pressures that were tempting them to turn away from Jesus. And Paul urges, kind of one of the central themes of Colossians is to is to grow their simple devotion to Christ. And so we're going to be starting off in verse 16 of Colossians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can pull them out and turn to Colossians 2. If you're listening on the road or in the car, please pay attention and be safe. But therefore, uh, verse 16, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So we're going to stop there. We're going to do sections, and we're going to build upon it, and give a little, just have a conversation in the middle of it. And so here we are, let no one pass judgment on you for food, or drink, or festival, or new moons, or Sabbaths. What is this talking about? And this is, you know, for a, for a Christian in 2021, we don't really have an understanding naturally of what Colossians 2 is talking about here. So we're hoping to give a little bit of a little bit of clarity on that. And so really these food and drinks and festivals and new moons and Sabbaths were all part of the Jewish culture. And so they were part of the culture that the these Christians were a part of. And they were these Jewish tradi- traditions that were strong and they were they were man-made, as we'll find out later on. And what what Paul is saying here in chapter 17 is like there are people who are emphasizing these traditions as opposed to emphasizing devotion to Christ. There were even Christians who are reverting back to a devotion to their Jewish customs as opposed to advancing with their devotion to Christ. And so um, what we have here is a, a conclusion that we must be devoted to Christ because he is the substance and the things revolving around Christ are only a shadow. And so just really quick, the Jewish people have the feast days and they have the food laws and they have new moons and they have a Sabbath. And what we got to know about these things is that these Jewish traditions and customs are a part, they were a part of Christ's first coming. They were prophetic pictures into what Christ would do and when he would come but they're also a part of a prophetic picture of Christ's second coming. We're not going to go into that today, but just giving you that information about what it means. These are a shadow of the things to come. 
But it doesn't mean that we should emphasize and devote ourselves to the shadows. We should devote ourselves to the substance, which is Christ. And so in 1 Timothy 4, um, there's a, a different context, but kind of the same idea. There were people who were, it says in 1 Timothy 4, they devoted themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. So it's really, he's saying, just be simple, simple devotion to Christ. Don't get caught up in all the, all the conspiracy, Christian conspiracy theories, like, like be devoted to Christ. I was thinking about, um, they said these are a shadow of things to come. It's like, almost like a glimpse of what Christ is and what he's promised, but it's not actually Christ. Like these things are not what's giving life. It's sort of a, a picture of what's to come, but they're not actually Jesus. They're not actually they're not actually that life giving relationship. And I think what's important to mention here is how long that these were going on, how long these traditions had been taking place. Because we'll talk about it a little bit more later on. But for him to say these things, it's like we were talking about it a little bit earlier. It's revolutionary. It's not just like oh yeah, I guess this is just something we can toss out. This is thousands of years of tradition. Yeah, so you're saying it's like a big deal. It's not it's a, a big deal. It's not it's not just a common sense statement of, oh yeah, just stop stop mm-hmm. all those traditions. Yeah. It was it was revolutionary. It it divided families. It's, you know, when Jesus talks about in the gospels that you have to right forsake your family in a sense if you want to follow Christ because he knew of the the traditional ties and the pressure of the fear of man and caring and caring for your family, but them not you could say understanding your change in lifestyle when it comes to following Christ, forsaking our previous life. Yeah. Um, when I read the, like when I look at the overviews of the old Testament and the context of where this letter is in the history of the Jewish people and their new moons and Sabbaths and festivals and these things that became ingrained in their identity, um, where we look back and we say, okay, what are all these rules for the whole book of Leviticus that has all these ideas about how, like what you are supposed to do, what is your identity as a people? It was all to represent the Lord and it was all to um, build these rhythms and these ways of being that represented the Lord to broken people. But then now as we're learning through Christ, there's a new, like there's a new representation. There's a new way of living. There's freedom I've come to fulfill and there's this he's like come on like hand holding like new way and people are like no I I this is my identity you don't understand I I hold on to the things I can control and he's updating the system almost of like it's something new that's never been done and it is very big and very scary and so it under, it's understandable that people are saying like no 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 like you don't go because that that threatens my identity this is who we are and he's giving them a new way to be than they always knew. Yeah, I mean, even Jewish people now have a kosher diet. Mm-hmm. And so there's still literally 2,000 years after Christ has come, Jewish people who who are still following Judaism, who reject Christ as the Messiah, they're still following the food laws. And, you know, literally, you know, Paul's writing this based on, about the food laws, he's he's writing this based on the the vision that Peter got about the food food not being unclean. And so they're basing it off of a vision that the apostle Peter got. And so you can imagine it's not necessarily it's not black and white. It's not it's not something that's that's 
that would be so common sense to everyone. It was revolutionary. It was, it was difficult. It was challenging, especially for, for people who loved their family and maybe their parents or grandparents or brothers or sisters or cousins or friends were like, you have to follow the traditions. And maybe they got rejected because of it. Maybe they lost friends. Maybe they got excommunicated from their family because they no longer followed these traditions and food laws. And it comes down to, like we had said earlier, that the kind of the theme is simple devotion to Christ. But simple devotion to Christ, don't mistake it for easy devotion to Christ. Yeah. It's it's simple as in it doesn't require added elements, but it's not easy because it often requires us to forsake the things that we once held so dear. Like, I love the way that you put it, Abby, of it's our like it's the identity that we had. Mm-hmm. Right? For these people, it's the Jewish people and their customs. And Jesus is calling us to a greater devotion to himself to experience the freedom that's found in the arms of our Savior and our Father who's uh, bringing us to this new life. We're only two verses in. Let's keep moving. (laughs) Verse 18. So, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. It's verse 18. So asceticism is basically severe self-discipline for the avoidance of fleshly indulgence. Um, and sensuous just means fleshly. That's later on in verse 18. But so he's saying, let no one disqualify you. I, I want to just pause here and and kind of emphasize this point all throughout the New Testament the writers, so God himself is warning people of false teaching, false teachers, people who are trying to lead us astray from a, away from Christ, leading us to devotion to earthly things as opposed to Christ himself. And so when he says no, no one disqualify you, he's saying be careful, be aware, like be on alert. And so there's, there's all these passages throughout the New Testament that are warning us of false teachings. So there's 2 Corinthians 10, 1 John 4, 2 Peter 2, Matthew 7, 2 Timothy 4, Matthew 24, 1 Timothy 6, Colossians 2, June 1, Romans 16, 1 Timothy 6, Ephesians 4, and there's the list can go on and on and on. I'm, I'm, I'm communicating those because I'm emphasizing the point that all throughout the New Testament and all throughout even Jesus' life, he's warning us of false teachings. And the thing about false teachings is it's not that they're false, but it's that when you accept a false teaching, you're inevitably accepting a lie, which a lie is going to take our allegiance away from Christ and the life that he has for us. So false teaching is not just, oh, you believe something that's not true. It's like, no, it's taking our allegiance away from Christ himself. And that's how they disqualify you. What do you mean? Like, that's what the verse is saying. Like, I was going to ask you that question. It says, don't let anyone, this is the NIV, it says, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. And what I was going to ask you is, how, practically, how do they disqualify you? And I think you just explained it perfectly, is when you are around these people, you start to believe what they're teaching, you become disqualified because you, you become disqualified because your allegiance is taken away from Jesus. Hmm. Great point. So in verse 18, it mentions asceticism, which is severe discipline for the avoidance of fleshly indulgence. It mentions worship of angels and going on in detail about visions. So something in this culture we're, we remember from our 
previous episodes is that there was a culture of, we had called it earlier, it's Gnosticism, which is like a spirituality, an emphasis on spirituality. Another way that we can put it is polytheistic mysticism, which basically concludes or, or comes down to believing in multiple gods. And so the polytheistic uh, mystics didn't necessarily reject Christ because they already believed in multiple gods. So the those types of people with that worldview and that culture were like, oh yeah, Jesus is fine. We'll just add him to the list of gods that we already worship. And in that culture, spiritual experiences were very normative, right? Angelic experiences and people experiencing these almost mystic and spiritual things, it was normative. And so he's mentioning here, not just the Judaism, not just the Jewish uh, temptation and not just the Jewish thought, but also the mystic or the Gnostic thought. He's saying, don't let the people who are worshiping angels going on about visions disqualify you. Don't let them draw you in your allegiance from Christ. And what I'd like to pause here and mention is that spiritual experiences are real. Like we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater just because some people are having spiritual experiences or mystic. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, angels are real. Demons are real. But what we do need to understand is just because someone has a spiritual experience does not mean they interpreted it correctly. Mm-hmm. So Paul mentions in Galatians, it's a different chapter or a different book, but it says, but even if we or an angel from heaven, this is Galatians 1.8, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. So Paul's literally saying if an angel shows up and starts preaching a gospel, that's not what we already preached to you. Let them be cursed. Mm-hmm. So he's he's saying that there's an there is a possibility that angelic or this would be demonic people disguised as angels of light will come and preach to you a gospel that's not true. Don't listen to them. <laughs> like even though spiritual experiences are real, it doesn't mean that those are the things that have our allegiance. But as you, as we were kind of talking about earlier, humans love like we are drawn to like this spiritual supernatural sense. And so when somebody has a supernatural experience, we often we often take it as authoritative because we haven't experienced it and they're enlightened because they had this experience. But the Bible is very clear that we need to use discernment. We need to use the Bible and the scriptures to to filter everything that comes in and test it to Christ, test it to the doctrines of the gospel, and then judge it accordingly. And if it doesn't line up, then we reject it and we say, hey, you might have had that experience, but that's not going to influence me. And so that's what we see Paul mentioning he's don't let these guys who are going on about worshiping of angels and spiritual experiences and visions, don't let that draw you away from Christ. Because it's, it's even though we, we maybe won't admit it, it often does, mm-hmm. right? It often does because we, you'll, we'll hear preachers and, and even pastors who are amazing people and men of God share stories that are spiritual and somewhat supernatural and we respect those people, and so we take it as authoritative. But when we when we bring it to the Bible, we're like, it, I, this seems like there's conflict and tension. And that's where I, I, I would offer to us that sometimes people mistakenly share personal experiences with God. Just because you saw something doesn't mean that it's for everyone. God might be doing something in them, specifically speaking of like a pastor or a preacher or a teacher, they, God might be doing something in them that they mistakenly share with everyone else. So it wasn't meant to be authoritative. It was meant to be encouraging and edifying to them. But they, 
in their maybe lack of discernment decided to share with everyone and everyone else took it as that's the truth. (laughs) And when that's not the case, did you want to share something? Yeah, I think it's what you're getting at. Like, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We, a lot of us might have had experiences as people, like as it became more popular and we saw pastors with like prophecy and healing and these things, we tried to step out into these more, um, not charismatic, but like it, where it gets a little, a little more blurry, the lines. And, um, I even had like people would share prophetic words and you, you can be uncomfortable sometimes with like, we don't know how to engage with that. And so discernment is so big in like, I would love it when people would be like, I, I, I feel like I heard this go ahead. Like, obviously don't take it for everything, but like use discernment and just here, I want to give this to you. And like, it's, when we come together as the body of Christ, there's going to be those blurry lines, but here it's um, encouraging us to have discernment and like it should have its place. Spiritual experiences have its place. Like you were saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but it, we shouldn't base our theology off of somebody else's experience. That's what we're doing Bible in context for. That's what we're going back to the word and checking in community because other people's experience is never supposed to be our theology of oh this is this is true because they said it right on i love i I just want to emphasize what you said we shouldn't base our theology on spiritual experiences Mm -hmm. they have a place but not necessarily in defining our theology right that's what the bible's for it's god's inspirational word about himself and his nature to us Uh, that's a great application and so kind of the, the thing that I would maybe emphasize lastly here when we're talking about spiritual experiences is if we do have one, take it with humility, take things with an open hand that we don't like, that we're not too quick to describe or give a label or ultimate meaning to what's happened to us. Be open to being, being open to like it not being what we think it is um, and Asking the Holy Spirit, testing it to Scripture, and then bringing it maybe to a, a mentor or someone's farther along than us, and bouncing it off them. And then lastly, is just like that's humility, which is just not being so quick to say I know what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And then there's the community aspect of that's why it's so important to be in community with other Christians and not just friends that are Christians, but like that's why it's so important to have like friends that you're actually pursuing God with, not just Christians who you're friends with. It's there's there's a difference. That's why it's so important to have a community that you trust that you can bring these things to and then you can bounce it off each other and help each other grow in accountability um, in the things of God and as we seek Christ. So let's, let's move to verse 19. So earlier it said in verse 18 that these spiritual experiences, they discerned it because they're, they were puffed up by their fleshly minds. They interpreted the spiritual experiences, they interpreted the angelic visits with a fleshly mind instead of a mind devoted to Christ. So it says in verse 19, in not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nursed and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. I'll pause here and give a very short description of what this is referring to and not holding fast to the head that's referring to Christ. There's an analogy that the Bible describes in multiple places that Christ, so Jesus Christ is the head 
And Christians, or disciples, followers of Christ, are the body. We are devoted to the head, and what it tells us to do, we do. And so we are not devoted to... So the hand isn't devoted to the foot. The hand is devoted to the head. The heart is, isn't devoted right to the toe. The heart is devoted to the head. All of the parts, all the body parts, are connected to Christ. And that's the picture that we get here. So these people who are having angelic visits, spiritual experiences, they were discerning through a fleshly mind. They were not holding fast to the head. They were not holding fast to Christ. They were going off on tangents instead of reducing it to simple devotion to Jesus. And then it says that from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Do you guys have anything to, to kind of add here or to share? Talking about maybe a growth or it grows with a growth that is from God. I had a thought. What do you say when it says growth? Um, let's see. Let me read it uh, in the NIV. It says supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grown as grows as God causes it to grow. So would you say that it was because I was thinking about it? Is it talking about like God designed the body to grow or God is like currently growing the body or a little bit of both? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Can you say that in another way? So I'm thinking, so as I read it, it says, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So would you talk or would you think about this as like a spiritual or a physical growth? Like what this verse is actually saying. That's my first question. A spiritual growth. A spiritual growth. So, But not, not for individuals though. It, it's like a collective. So the church, it's like a spiritual growth, but the church grows as the church is connected to the head. Mm. Gotcha. But there's also personally, because we can't grow unless we're connected to Christ, but it's a, this is referring to a collective group in the context of there are opposing worldviews that are drawing us away from the head. It's focused on traditional Judaism and it's focused on Gnosticism, which is there are multiple gods. So these things are pulling us away from the head as the church, but also as individuals. In a growth that is from God, it I would bring that back maybe to John 15. It says, abide in me and my word abides in you. Um, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So he's saying abide in me. It's mm-hmm. this, this analogy that nothing, we cannot grow if we're not connected to Christ. It's not about our flesh. It's not about doing the right things or not doing the wrong things. It's it's about being connected to Christ through faith, through God's grace. And another, I think, emphasis here, Abby, I don't know if you have anything you want to share, but I'm just going to go off, not go off, I'm going to go to this next point, which is as a, as a collective group, we also find here that as community of disciples of Christ, as Christians, the pastor of our churches, like they are not the head. Like I am not the head of the church. I'm not the head of access. I'm not the head of the young adults. I might have an organizational position that lends me influence that I wouldn't have otherwise. But when it comes to the actual church, like the actual people who are followers of Christ, Christ is the head. Like he's the one. And the only way that our group, the only way that any church works is if we all submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit by submitting to Christ, submitting to scriptures, 
and com- and we're committed to loving one another, that's how the church grows. Like so many like churches, right, as, as a pastor, and this may not be appropriate for this group, but as pastors, we're, there's always like, oh, we want to impact more people. We want to grow our influence. We want to like, right, reach more people. And, and, and a lot of times I am challenged and drawn towards that almost organizational or you could say strategic thinking, which there's a place for it. But as I read scripture, I, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like, it's, I think it's way more simple than we make it out to be. That, if, that really growth comes from God and growth comes from a group of people who have clarity in the role that Christ plays in their life as a church and as a community. That we're not committed to Resurrection Life Church. We're not, I mean, we may be planted here, but we're not like, our allegiance isn't to this church. Our allegiance isn't to me or our allegiance isn't to Pastor Dwayne. Our allegiance is to Christ. And as we are drawn towards Christ, he draws us to one another. And that's a portion of this that is just so important. Like another way that I'll put it is like the most charismatic person in our friend groups, like that, they're not the head of our friend group, right? We all have, you know, there's a different roles that everyone plays in a friend group. And like Christ is our head. He's the one who leads us. And it's going to look different for, you know, every person, what that looks, you know, it's going to look different for every person for what their allegiance to Christ looks like. But that's why we need the scriptures to inform us and the Holy Spirit to guide us to grow in our, I don't know, in our faith and grow in our maturity. Do you have anything to add on that, Abby or Alec? Let's move to verse 20. So if you, if, if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of this world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? So back in chapter 2 of not back, but earlier in chapter two in Colossians, it references that we that Christ has disarmed the elemental and spiritual forces of this world. So we were under elemental spiritual forces, right? Sin had its grip on us. We were born into Adam. We were we were up a creek without a paddle. We had no way of getting out of the bondage of sin, right? The devil had authority over the earth, and we were lost. Christ came to disarm those spiritual forces, right? Of whether that be mysticism, Gnosticism in this context, or whether it would have been the Jewish traditions, Christ disarmed those powers. And so Paul is saying here, if you die to those forces, why would you still live in the world? Why do you submit to the regulations that I freed you from already? Don't do it. And here we have another teaching of the simple devotion to Christ that we have, but in this sense, it's we have a new allegiance. Our life is not just a confession. It's not just a prayer that we pray, but it's a, a way to think of it as a new allegiance. It's a new priority. It's a new life that we live where Christ is the leading force. And then through the Holy Spirit, we move towards Him and away towards the things that we are born into, whether it be our family or traditions or culture. We have a new life that's set apart, a life of freedom. You guys have anything to add in this section? I don't think so. Trying to be careful for our time. (laughs) What time? How much time are we? We're 28 minutes. Oh, we're great. Come on, add, Abby. Um, It's so much good to add in our (laughs) pre-recording. I think it's going to build in a little bit as we get to 21. Um, and it as then in, we are in chapter three, right? And four is next or are we in two still? We're in, st- we're still in two. Yeah. It, but it, 
again, there's no chapters actually. So I try yeah. to read it as the whole thing. And when you, then you have nothing to reference, but um, it builds is like the, there's a Bible project video, new humanity that's talking about like what we are now made to, like if we died and now we're alive, we don't go on living as, as we did before um, slaves to what we were before. And in the processes and the patterns that we were before, there's this, what is this new humanity? What do we do? And so just super excited as we, um, keep reading we figure out it's not just the patterns that we always knew there's this new way to be and that's what we're all as the church doing figuring out this new way this simple devotion to christ in each of our contexts yeah what you were talking about i think well you talked about it jake and what you just mentioned abby's how simple it really is is that dedication to jesus christ but i think where some of the complications come in as i was thinking about it says why um Let's see. Our version says. We're reading in the ESV. Yeah. As if you were still alive in the world. And the NIV says. Um, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Like, why do you submit to its rules? And I think it's that familiarity, that level of comfort that brings us back to those things. Because when you give your life to Jesus, when you have a new allegiance, there's change and there's there's pain and there's uncomfort. And I think that's kind of what reminds us of, man, I wish I could just go back to that place that I was familiar with. You know, like, this mm-hmm. is hard. Like, I don't want to do this. And I think that's why it's mentioning, you know, why do you act as, just, as if you still live in the world or for these evil spiritual elemental forces? It's like, these are the difficulties that we struggle with. But when you give your life to Jesus, it really is that simple. You just have to keep your mind focused on that simple devotion to Christ because in him is where you find your strength to endure. Um, and to push through realizing that you're not just trying to be comfortable anymore. Yeah, we, we mentioned it earlier, simple devotion to Christ does not equate to easy or comfortable devotion to Christ. Mm-hmm. We find here in verse 20, it doesn't say it outright, but what it's referring to is people who are Christians in this context, but are fearful of losing the comforts of their life. Mm-hmm. So the Jewish people in this context are afraid of losing their family, friends, and their culture, and their comfort, their community. Because the people in their culture who are, are Jews and are historical Jews and traditional Jews, they're, they're not going to be okay with a Jewish Christian or now a new Christian not participating in their culture mm-hmm. anymore. There's going to be an excommunication. There's going to be a rejection. And so there's this inner tension that we have as Christians, even today, that when we devote ourselves to Christ, it's not just a devotion to Christ, but a devotion to Christ has consequences in the sense that we lose our devotion to the things that we grew up in. So for some people, it's losing family. Some people, it's losing friends. Some people, it's losing jobs. Some people, it's losing everything. And he, this is referring to do not let the fear of man or the fear of losing comfort keep you from pure and simple devotion to Christ. And in the mystic polytheism or the polytheistic mysticism, mm-hmm. I switched them around, side of this context, Jesus would have been an, an added God. You were mentioning this earlier. Do you mm-hmm. want to kind of go on? Sure. Kind of like that context or that application to this and yeah. tied into our... I was thinking that like it's both sides of the road too. You don't just leave behind what was comfortable 
for a new comfort. We like if you believe the Bible, you believe that our comfort is not here, that it's in a one day kingdom that you're living for. And you will. I was looking into the context of here and they were if you leave your Jewish traditions, you are you're excommunicated from there, too. But you're like some of these people, I believe Colossae is a um, Roman place. And um, they said that even if like everybody, their polytheistic mysticism, I was going to switch it, um, they were devoted because the the grain, their weather, their buildings, their structure, their money, economy, they all believed it was a part of this and their comfort was in that. And if something, if you didn't bring your sacrifice, if you didn't, like, if you did something different, it was your fault. And so if somebody left that life too and something bad happened that year, they would blame it on the Christians every time because they're not doing the way that it was always done. It must have been their fault. So both sides of the road, your Jewish traditions or those people, their um, Roman traditions or the cultures of their day, we can no longer find our comfort somewhere here. We're not made for here anymore as we operate in this new humanity. We have a hope that is beyond the systems and the patterns of our day and what we always knew as comfort. So what do you guys think are some current applications maybe to our culture. So so we're talking about the two cultures, but one of the ways that we can read the Bible is we find its original meaning, but then we wisely wisely apply it to our culture, right? And so we're not doing it flippantly, but we're considering how this applies to our lives, maybe our Mm -hmm. culture and the tensions that we feel in our lives. I mean, Do you have some examples that you can think of? For me, it's... I would like to reframe what is the like what is the emotional turmoil going on right now of like do I worship Zeus or do I now eat kosher like that doesn't apply to me so what is the emotional it's like what do I do I um conform do I go with what's comfortable and for me I wrote on both sides of the road whether you're conforming this way or that way one side says we've got it covered we understand we've like we've got the answer and the like, other side. like religious yes. like sunday morning church yeah we have our doctrine we have the, our check boxes we have our like you this is how you attain holiness we have it and then the other side it says like this is how you attain fulfillment we have it we like we have the answers we've got it covered and both sides it's it's back to the garden it's taking the fruit saying we have it we understand we're going to define our our comfort our um our fulfillment. This is what we're going to go after. And so today we have that choice every single day when you reframe it is what do you define today as you have that inkling inside that maybe it's not actually the best for you. We have so many things at our disposal, instant gratification. Um, Everything in our lifestyle today wants us to live for self and um, is usually self-motivated. And so every moment when you wake up, you have a choice of am I living for myself? Am I defining my own good and um, my own good and evil? Or, and am I living for a comfort beyond myself? Am I seeking his fulfillment and not my own definitions that the culture hands to me either side of the road? That would be for me today. That's where I see it. I think the biggest thing for me is you touched on it earlier is like when you talk about the new devotion that they have to Jesus and the separation that it brings with the people who are sticking to these tr- traditions is like, that's still so true today is when people make that decision for Christ, when they, when they find that they simply want to be devoted to Christ and they make that decision, you will see the separation between 
you know, your friends, your family, your coworkers. And I think that's the biggest thing for me, even personally, I've been experiencing that a lot as I've been taking my relationship with God more seriously. And I've been seeing it in the lives of my friends. It's like your values start to change and they don't start to align with the history that you've built with the friends that you have in your community. And you start to identify, it's like, okay, this is, this is taking away from the simple desire that I have to pursue Christ. This is, this is changing. This is not, not, there's not saying, um, sorry, not necessarily saying that the people are like in comparison, like the false teachers, but they are in a way like just, um, due to the circumstances of the relationship or the friendship, there are in a sense taking that allegiance away. And so you, I think it's an encouragement for people to know that it was happening then. It's still happening today. Like there's nothing new under the sun. Like Jesus still knows um, that that you are going to go through pain. But like Abby was saying, we don't live for the comfort of this world. We live for, you know, the hope stored up for us in heaven. Like we have such um, greater purpose than to try and stay in those comfort zones with the people that we've known. Because like I said earlier, familiarity is such a, a thing for us. It's such a an easy thing to go to for comfort. And we can't always... We can't live for comfort. We have to live for that simple devotion to Christ. That's my biggest one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I there are some that I'm that I'm thinking of a little bit different train of thought than than both of you, which is great. That's why we do this. I'm thinking more of the cultural pressures that we feel, as opposed mm-hmm. to like a personal pressures yeah. that we feel. I think of like Americanism. Or mm-hmm. if we say it that way, like national pride. Nationalism. Yeah. And how that, and just not even saying that, like, I'm proud to be an American, right? To sing that is like evil or sin, but I, I'm more referring to the influence that our culture has had on our view of Christianity. Mm-hmm. So it's not saying like, oh, it's evil, 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 but it's saying, okay, I need to be able to look at the culture and and its impact on me, not impact on others, impact on me, because we don't need mm-hmm. to judge other people. Say, how has this influenced the way that I view Christ, the way that I view sanctification, the way that I view holiness and purity and and money? And how has that, the cultural influence, impacted me? Mm-hmm. And is that in alignment with Christ, right? And then the other side of it would be the religious nature of our of our setting or my setting, for example, it may be different Mm -hmm. for the people who didn't grow up in a Christian home, but it would be a religious culture that has had an influence. Not be, not because I think that our church is religious, but the nature of, of religion and Mm -hmm. it's, it's influence on our worldview and and, and in our relationship with Christ. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think it's also, it's that pendulum swing that we all, always say now of like it even mentions in here the asceticism which is the severe self-discipline of the avoidance of indulgence and so like there's one side of the pendulum that's like no don't don't touch don't taste we're about to get there but then there's the other side where i do believe if i remember correctly the roman culture was one of self-indulgence of very much like if you can have it you can have it if you are in power you can have whatever you want um just to go down the list of things that they did. And so there's that pendulum swing even today culturally. And you say, which, 
Where do we go? Which way are you going to choose as a Christian culturally today? There's so many things that pull at you that say, are you this side or are you this side? Are you with us or are you against us? And there's no middle. And we're starting to like in everything in like hot topics today of like BLM, if you don't do this, then you are against us. And you're like, but wait, I I have these convictions. They're like, no, it's either this or this. And like as a Christian, it's either you care about abortion or social justice. And nobody's nobody's drawing those lines. But like we treat it like, well, if you talked about this, then why didn't you talk about this? And there's like culturally, we're always asked to be one side of the pendulum. They were then and we are now. And Jesus has this radical new way walking through the middle where he's not his head's not in the sand, but he's like radically involved, but still like personally, emotionally removed and living for that um, comfort for another day and seeking that out and living that out now in the systems that say, no, you have to be either a Roman puppet or a Jewish like rebel. You have to be one. And he's walking through changing the systems radically in the middle. And it's just, we get to do that today too. Verse 21, we're going to end with this. We're going to rip through this part. We probably won't to ha- won't be able to have as much commentary as we'd like. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the, to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the end of chapter two. So question. Yeah. Were, so this letter is to people who most likely were Roman citizens. Both. Were Okay, yeah. It's um, a collection. And then there's the, like, I think we see the sweeping in of the Jews um, after the Jesus movement saying, okay, if you believe in Yahweh now, like, get circumcised now at 40 years old, like start eating this way, start doing all these, like, and then they, we watch the letters come afterwards of like, no, 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 no. Be careful of that pendulum swing. So this is do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Could this be them like reacting from probably their self-indulgent culture and the systems that they learned to like, now the answer people are telling them the new answer is do not taste, do not touch, do not laugh, do not have fun, do not like, the, the asceticism they're reacting from their culture before i think you're bringing something up i, I don't think we can prove that mm-hmm. but i think we can draw some conclusions yeah. of what might have been happening it, it would fit in line with human nature i'll say that <laughs> you have a Col- colosse which was a roman city and so you're going to have the influence of um, the self-indulgent life and the roman gods and the different morality that the romans had versus the jews and so you'd have that type of pendulum swing you referenced earlier of Christians being influenced by the Romans and then the Jews coming in and being mm-hmm. like, do not take, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, trying to correct maybe some sin that they saw within Christians. Because the people who were saying this weren't actually Jewish people, they were Christians who were reverting back to Judaism. Mm. So he wasn't even it wasn't even Jewish people. He's referring to the church. Yeah. So there's people in the church that were doing this. But the people in the church were probably reacting to maybe sin or maybe some lifestyles that they thought were incorrect. And so and it's interesting that he ends this verse or this chapter, even though we'll build on it, he says, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting 
promoting self-made religion and asceticism, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. None. So he's saying like, listen, you can tell these people do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, but that doesn't stop the flesh. Mm-hmm. That doesn't stop the human desire for sin and for selfishness and pride and all the things yeah. that you are trying to stop. Telling them to stop doing it and promoting these man-made regulations, that's not what cuts it. But then what does? What does, Jake? I'm glad you asked that, Abby. <laughs> Alec, why don't you read... Uh, so. Quick note here: We're going to go into the first section of Colossians three. We're not going to we're not going to go into all Colossians three, but it's a good kind of note here that the Bible isn't written in chapters. This was a letter that was supposed to be read all at once to the city, and so it's not like this is a new chapter. It's like a progression of chapter two, and it fits right in alignment with the end of this chapter. So just read that last part in Colossians three. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So why don't you just, Abby, why don't you just like kind of like tie that in with the last part of Colossians 2, and then we'll make it around. Gotcha. Um to me, it's that new humanity plug Bible project again. It's that the whole rest of the chapter is talking about it argued for like the supremacy of Christ, the devotion to Christ, the false answers that your culture will provide for you that you can go left or right. And then now we're going to be walking through and what is it to be raised with Christ, to seek the things that are above in your context, to um, to have died and to have our life hidden with him and then our life revealed in him in glory. Those are weird words. Like, what does that look like for our life today? And I believe it's this. It's us right here. It's you guys listening. It's community. It's study. It's meditating on the scriptures, living for a new way, not just settling anymore for extremes and comfort, but living for a new answer and a new um, a new humanity. Thank you guys for listening to the Bible in context on the Access Podcast. We hope it blessed you and we'll see you next time whenever we post another episode. For Colossians 3, stay tuned.